0: With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker.
0: By Onyx Hunt, Yukadoo the Sporty Dog, CC USA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, Uplander Lifestyle, and Dakota 283. On this episode of the show, we're talking to Kelly Parmley of Gun Dog Magazine. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 154. All right, welcome to another episode of the Bird Shop Podcast. October 27th today. I can't believe October has almost completely passed us by. Seems crazy, but I've enjoyed it so far. A few more days left and the hunting conditions around me are still near perfect. So plenty more to go. Hope you're all in, out there enjoying the uplands, the bird camp, planning your next trip, daydreaming about getting back into the woods. I'm right there with you. I had a couple off days to do a pumpkin carving gathering yesterday and a rain day today. So, dogs are getting some rest. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Can't wait. Anyways, don't have much in the way of updates for you. I'm pretty running gun right now, trying to keep up to speed on all things podcast and Upland Gun Company. And just about every spare moment I've got, I'm trying to get myself and the dogs out into the woods. Got a grouse camp weekend coming up next weekend. Very much looking forward to that. And just about everything else is on hold for now. But we got episodes of the Birdshot Podcast coming your way. And I am getting more episodes recorded. Quick reminder on the Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash Birdshot. Again, have continued to have people sign up and support the show via Patreon. Thank you very much to everybody that has done so already. Just a few days left remember at the end of October, anybody that signs up as a Patreon supporter by the end of October will be eligible to win a Dakota 283 G3 medium kennel. November giveaway is going to be a Dr. Pathfinder mini GPS collar system. And the December end of the year giveaway is going to be a 2022 hunt at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Talked with Jerry about that last week while I was out there. So more details to come on that. Thank you for considering being a Patreon supporter. I really appreciate it. And for those that sign up, a chance at a few giveaways that we've got in the works. Patreon.com forward slash birdshot. All right. Today's episode came about as a result of my trip out to Pine Ridge Grouse Camp last week. Spent a couple days there. Connected with some folks from Yukonuba. Also, Callie Parmley, editor-in-chief of Gundog Magazine. I met Callie a couple of years ago on a trip down to Greystone Castle in Texas or Caesar Greeny event. And Callie now has an English setter from Northwoods Bird Dogs, Jerry Coulter. That's where my two dogs are from. So we go back and forth about that often enough. And we had a chance to connect out at Pine Ridge. Callie was busy doing a whole bunch of stuff with the folks from Yukonuba She did get out and do a little hunting. So we recapped her season a little bit so far, talked about some of her Western hunts, including a very interesting trip up into the mountains, chasing ptarmigan, talked about her first English setter Jones who is roughly the same age as my one and a half year old pup Rose and we finished up talking a little bit about her rough grouse hunt that she did get to go out on before she left Minnesota last week so with all of that said let's jump right into it welcome into the conversation and on to the birdshot podcast of gundog magazine Callie Parmley. Welcome, Callie Parley to the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for joining me today.
2: Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure. Happy to reconnect with you after I was able to see you out at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp last week. We got to talk birds and dogs at at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp as that is what people do while while at Pine Ridge. So it was great to see you out there, but I'm glad to have a chance to connect with you on the podcast and catch up with you a little bit about the season so far how how's your fall been
2: you know it's been busy um been traveling a whole lot haven't you know started out it's been really i live in utah and it's been super hot here so yeah. uh hunting started out kind of slow because you know it's hard to hunt when it's 80 degrees outside so i've uh, been able to get out uh, a little bit in september and a little bit in october and then my travel season kind of started with work and so now i'm starting to slow down and can finally focus on me and my dogs basically so
0: that's good to hear we've got to got to find ways to work that in that's for sure and, and it you know it helps sometimes it helps sometimes it hurts being that it's uh combined with your work but uh at least we get to be talking about it and thinking about it a lot
2: yeah that's for sure yep yeah
0: so do you, do you feel like you're right in the middle of your season do you feel like you're over the hump like where, where are things setting up for you
2: i feel like my season is just now finally getting started we finally okay. got some rain and some snow and cooler temperatures here and that means hopefully the rattlesnakes are gonna uh, go to bed and not i don't have to worry about them and can really get started now
1: yeah
0: that would be ideal
2: yeah for sure <laughs> don't, we don't have to worry
0: about too much about snakes over in this part of the world but there's mm-hmm. there's other things but yeah that's i i definitely feel like you know, we are right in the middle of some, some of the best hunting of the year right now, which you got to experience a little bit last week. And we'll, we'll talk about that. You were pretty busy for most of the couple of days that you were at Pine Ridge, but now you got to get out in the woods just after I left. So I want to chat yeah, about definitely. that, but lots of hunting, hunting ahead and things will slow down and get to enjoy it. But Kelly, tell me a little bit about what you do for gundog magazine and kind of what keeps you busy on a daily basis as far as that goes.
2: Sure. So I'm the editor in chief of Gun Dog, and so uh, basically that means I manage the magazine and uh, decide what goes in, and uh, work with my contributors, my photographers, to really produce uh, the best, the premier, you know, sporting dog uh, publication that you know is around. And so every day I work with great, and talented people to put in interesting stories that we feel our readers are going to benefit our readers and. Keeps me on my toes every day, basically, you know, and it's awesome to work with new contributors and old contributors and all, you know, all these guys and ladies who are avid upland hunters, avid dog trainers, know what they're talking about and are willing to share their knowledge with, you know, the gundog subscriber base. And we work to produce something that you look forward to receiving in the mail every month.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. And you joined up with Gun Dog magazine. That was a couple of years ago now, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, for sure. I've been in the magazine business for a while now. I started uh, my career, well, first I started my career with a nonprofit called the Sportsman's Alliance. And then from there, I knew I wanted to be a magazine editor at some point. I didn't know it would be a hunting magazine editor, but uh, sure. worked my way up from there. And I started as associate editor of Peterson's Hunting Magazine and then managing editor of Peterson's Hunting. And uh, worked on some other publications like Wheels of Field. And we developed a magazine called Backcountry Hunter and then the gun dog position rick was retiring and that opened up and they knew i was an avid upland hunter and so transitioned over to editor-in-chief of gun Dog, and uh i also do backcountry hunter magazines so okay a big game hunter as well what was it
0: like taking over the reins of a magazine with such history and and i'll be honest i don't know i mean i've been aware of gun Dog magazine probably for as long as i've been you know looking at newsstand racks and stuff being a little kid you know i remember seeing it and you know i i I don't know if i ever even subscribed when i was younger but i i will say i picked up an episode or an issue recently because i was i was at a little small town grocery store near my cabin and looked at the news rack and there was a there was a cover of a magazine with an english setter and a rough grouse in its mouth and i'm like uh that's coming home with me so i picked it up and, and it was kind of i think that was an anniversary issue is that right
2: uh, yeah, so to this year, 2021, we celebrated our 40th anniversary, okay. and it was intimidating to take over such an iconic magazine. I'll be honest; I mean, I've been in the uh, big game world for my entire career, and yeah, I'm I'm an upland hunter, but doesn't mean I'm you know an expert on the subject. And so yeah. when I took over, you know, transitioning from the big game world to the dog uh, sporting mm-hmm. dog world was definitely intimidating, and I had to learn the people, learn the ropes, you know, learn the industry. And I'm very thankful that everyone is so welcoming and willing to share their knowledge and,
1: you know,
2: share everything with this magazine with me as a new editor and things of that sort. And so it was, it was intimidating, but um, awesome all at the same time. And yeah. it's been nothing but great ever since I've been in this role for about two years now. And, avid upland hunter love dogs love everything behind this sport and it has just been so great to be able to take over the reins of this magazine and try to fill the shoes of the people who have ran it before me so
0: yeah very cool so for anybody that is maybe familiar with the gundog magazine of the past or maybe they've never picked up an issue let's fast forward to right now if if somebody goes to the store subscribes and they pick up an issue of gundog magazine today what in general, are they going to find in there?
2: Well, they're going to find new, bold, and new. Uh, you know, it's been 40 years since this magazine first started, and it was starting to be where, hey, we need to revamp this thing, or it's not going to last another 40 years. And so we understood what our readers wanted, what they needed. And so we spent uh, the end of 2020 developing a new gun dog. And we rolled out the new design and the new everything uh, starting in. Uh, February 2021 last year and what we did was we took the old magazine which was normally around 80 pages you know it's your typical magazine where it's a little flimsy kind of loose paper and things of that sort and we took it and we turned it into a 120 page perfect bound what we like to call a coffee table-esque magazine where it's something that you don't throw away because it's so beautiful and we completely redesigned the inside Uh, we brought in new writers old writers um, a new art director, uh, new photographers and we what we wanted was this to be a publication where when you see it on newsstands just like you said this is coming home with me yeah. and it's something where we wanted it to be a magazine where you either keep it out for people to see or you put it on your bookshelf to reference it later and um, not only that but we understood that the print side needed an update but we also knew that the Digital media and our social media need an update as well. And so along with the print pub, we also completely blew up our website. And in June, released a completely new and updated gundogmag.com where we have a new design. Um, We have new and exciting things on there where not only do regular people get, you know, excellent editorial content found on the website, but subscribers actually have a login where they have a, a premium access to the site where they get articles that just everyday users, you know, they get access to these articles that not everyday users get. And they also get access to, we revamped our gun dog training series series videos where we had in the past, we had these excellent training videos with um, a lot of icons like Bob West and Tom Dawkins. And they were yeah. super informative for people and super great. And these DVDs that everyone loved. It's been years since we did it, and so we were like, "Why don't we do that again?" And we revamped them and we redid them, and now we put them on the website. And so, premium users get access to hundreds of these training videos, where you know, for all these DIY dog enthusiasts who love Gun Dog, now they've got all these videos to see exactly how the experts train their dogs. So, along with that, they also get um, an archive of going back years of Gun Dog. They can read all the old magazines and things of that and that sort. So. You know, and then as well, you can probably tell our social media has really stepped up the game. We partner with um, great photographers and really focusing on, you know, when you scroll through Instagram, you want to see these beautiful photos of these sporting dogs. And that's what we've really focused on. So well, yeah. not just the print pub got an update, but social media and our digital website as well.
0: Yeah. I took a spin around, around the website and that's got a, it's got a great look to it. And apologies if I missed this, but so if you are a magazine subscriber, how do you become a how do you become a premium subscriber to, to then get all this archive of stuff because yeah I'm looking I'm seeing you know I'm seeing the Bob West and the Tom Docking mm-hmm. and all this I mean all that old stuff would be pretty cool to go through
2: for sure um, if you as soon as you subscribe on the website it will prompt you when you are you know putting in your payment it will prompt you to create a username and password and that's it as soon as you pay that is your access to the the premium site and up on gundogmag.com you'll see in the upper right hand corner it says log in and that's where you log in.
0: Okay, so it's a single subscription. You subscribe to the magazine and then you get the premium access.
2: Correct. Yeah, twenty bucks nineteen ninety-seven gives you not only six issues of this beautiful hundred and twenty page magazine, but also gives you premium access to the website where you're getting um editorial content and you're getting hundreds of training videos and You're seeing the old training videos on there right now, and we are currently recording new ones that um, will be out throughout the year next year. So hundreds of videos, you know, thousands of hours of personal dog training via gundogmag.com.
0: Awesome. Very cool. Well, we'll we'll definitely link that up. Folks can check that out, gundogmag.com. And I'm, uh, I think I might be, diving into the archive a little bit after, uh, after we finish up this conversation, but let's talk about, let's talk about bird season. Let's talk about hunting. I was checking out your Instagram account and, uh, I got to hear about this pack llama rental hunt. I got to hear about <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> so I, um, I like to backpack. I like to backpack. Yeah. Hunt. I, I do that a lot. Um, I just really enjoy it. I enjoy the challenge of it and just, overcoming mind over matter you know and so um there's ptarmigan here in utah but they are way up in the uintas you know you got a 15 20 mile pike hike in and you know i don't have horses so i have friends who have horses but so and i actually the year before i had hunted elk up in the uintas near where the ptarmigan are and i know how grew i had backpacked in for elk and i know how grueling it can be it is straight uphill you got 40 pounds on your back like doing 15 miles just walking with, with with my own pack would have taken me three days, you know? So I'm like, I just had this, I just had this, I think I was having a conversation with one of my riders from fat country hunter, J- Joseph von Bendik. And I had been talking about, I was like, man, I wish I could rent horses or pack llamas. And he said, yeah, I've got a friend who rents out his llamas They're pack llamas. And I was like, what? And so I go, how great would that be if I rented llamas to hike in for ptarmigan, you know? And so he hooked me up with his buddy here and um, I rented Ruger and Prime, the llamas.
1: Really? And
2: <laughs> yeah, and I convinced my buddy uh, JJ to go with me because you know hiking 15 miles in the backcountry by yourself isn't exactly the smartest thing to do. So, how about, how about um, hell helps? Yeah, exactly. So it was great because the llamas could carry each like 40 pounds of gear, which is all of your camping gear, you know. Yeah. And we hiked in, and it was it was amazing, and we couldn't now. I was fully expecting to get dumped on by snow because I went at the same time as I went last year for elk. And last year, when I started hiking in for elk with my other buddy, James, we um, went in in 70-degree weather. And the next morning, we woke up to about 8 inches of snow. So I was fully expecting the weather not to cooperate on this hunt. But we had amazing weather. It it was sunny and, you know, probably, I think, around 55, 60 degrees the whole time. And we were at 12,000 feet. and yeah, yeah. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. We only we on the way up we flushed um, one small covey of grouse. Uh, didn't get a shot off because I was telling you earlier the grouse here are a little different here than they are in Minnesota. They oh, like yeah. to, these, were,
0: these were rough grouse that you were flushing.
2: They, yeah, this was rough yeah. grouse. We did flush one blue later on in the trip, but did, I never, I didn't see it. I heard it, but, I didn't see it. but um, these grouse like to flush and go and just sit in the trees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after throwing 10 rocks at it to get it to flush again <laughs> and it wouldn't flush I left it alone <laughs> right? yeah. so um anyways so we we hiked in and we we went you know 12 miles in and uh, my buddy's dog had a little cut had a little accident and he got a cut above his eye and so we mm. couldn't get in as far as we needed to get because we really needed to rest Yager and um but that's okay. We still got a hunt area that I wanted to hunt. And it was funny, actually, on the way up, we ran into some other ptarmigan hunters who had been up there for six days, and they kind of warned us. They said, yeah, we, we didn't see anything. And so that was a little discouraging on the way up. But anyways, we got up there, and Jones and I were able to hunt above treeline and had just a grand old time. Didn't find any yeah. birds, but I mean, we saw mountain goats and, a, and moose and no other soul. Moose up there. Oh yeah, moose. Now they wow. were a little, they were a little lower down in elevation okay. as I was okay. hiking up. But um, mountain goats, of course, when I was up there hunting, I heard some some scrambling on the rocks, and I'm thinking, you know, that's got to be a deer or something. What do you know? I looked up, and there was four mountain goats staring back down at me. So, <laughs> laughing because Jones was pointing them for me. I thought, I literally thought he was pointing a ptarmigan. I looked up, and there were four mountain goats. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well better than chasing them
2: that's right yeah
0: (laughs) now i know like you grew up in ohio is that right Mm
1: -hmm. yep
0: yeah grew up in ohio but you were again you you kind of alluded to the fact that you've been a backcountry hunter and a big game hunter and i know you would make frequent trips out west and stuff so you you recently relocated to utah but and you had been up to the uintas at least once before how many times have you been up there
2: Well, since I've lived here, you know, you kind of camp and everything in the Uintas, but hunted the Uintas, I've only hunted them twice now. Twice, okay. Okay. okay.
0: Yeah. What was the strategy for locating, finding, hunting them? I mean, was it just get above the tree line and cut the dogs loose?
2: Well, yeah, so ptarmigan um, are mountain peak birds. They live, you know, at 11,000, 12,000 feet. They like the um, nastiest, gnarliest, steepy, rocky stuff you can find. They're generally above tree line. They may be down in between, like the tree line and the rocky peaks, where the grass kind of meets the rocky peaks. I called, you know, they're not. They were released here years ago, yeah, so I called I the know DNR. That. Yeah, I called the DNR um, to get some, you know, talk to their upland specialist about, hey, you know, where should I focus? And um, they pointed me in the direction of some bowls, some particular bowls that I should, you know, hike into. And you know, King's Peak is the the iconic peak here in the Uintas, is where they were first released around Kings Peak. And so I was worried Kings Peak was a little overhunted. And so I wanted to go into some surrounding uh, bowls near Kings Peak. And so just basically you kind of look at the map and you find a trail that goes up in, you know, to 12,000 feet above tree line and, and hope for the best. And so, wow. <laughs> um, I, were, I was warned that their numbers were down a little bit, but, I mean, okay. who cares? It's still an adventure, right? I mean, you, right. That's right. hunting. You, you don't, you're you never going to find him if you don't go look for him. So I now have an idea of where I want to go next year, and that's all that matters. So.
0: Okay, so you answer my question. You're planning to go back.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. But I will definitely be running Ruger and Prime again, that's for sure. <laughs> I
0: mean, yeah, so so I, w- I want to dive into, like, do you have experience riding horses or like, what was that I, like? Yeah,
2: I do. I do. I grew okay. up with horses. I grew up with okay. horses and I had my own horse trail. I was a trail rider. Like that's kind of how I got into the outdoors. So like leading pack animals was not strange to me at all. Um, it was, okay. you know, I asked, I said, Hey, how, you know, how would these llamas do around these dogs? You know? And he, and he said, just treat them like a horse, you know, where it don't get too much behind their hind legs. And and the dogs quickly learned not to get behind their legs. You know, they did, you know, they kicked at him. They let them know, like, no, I don't like you back there. So Jones was quick to understand, stay in front. And, you That's know, good. Um, but he made pretty good friends with uh, Ruger, so it was pretty funny. So, no, it was super easy, and we loaded them up. They have their own, you know, panniers, and uh, they could carry about 40 pounds, and you just pulled them along and they just I mean they follow you they don't you know they want to go where you're going they don't okay. and then when you're camping you tie them up against a tree or when you're hunting you just tie them around a tree and let them graze while you go hunt and so, so it was so you're super not, you, easy
0: they just graze and you don't have to bring food or water for them up no
2: there. no it was super great um Ty you know the guy who I rented him from he was I said so I don't have to bring him food I don't have to and he goes nope and they're kind of like he's like I think he I am not a llama expert. So any llama experts listening, I think they come from the camel family or something. And so they are, they're from, you know, they're from, you know, they use these llamas hiking Everest or, you know, they're from the Andes or whatever. And he, he said, they don't, they probably won't drink the entire time you're up there. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, they get their water from eating the grass and you can take them over to water, but they probably won't drink. And I will attest that the entire hike, you know, we probably did over 30 miles and they drank like once that I can remember. (laughs) So they just, they don't really care. They do like to eat though. They do like to graze. That's for sure. So
0: the saying applies just as it does for horses. You could lead a llama to water, but
2: yeah, (laughs) that's exactly true. Yes.
0: Well, I Uh, am, I think I could identify and point out a llama if I saw one, but that's about all I know about (laughs) them.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. And these ones didn't spit either. So, But I mean, it was, I mean, the first day, you know, instead of, you know, if I would have been hiking with 40 pounds on my back going up the elevation that I was, I probably could have done five or six miles the first day. But since I had the llamas, we had the llamas carrying our gear, I was in. we were able to do 10 miles. So that just tells you the difference having these pack animals carrying your gear. And, you know, they, they use pack llamas out here. They use pack goats out here. (laughs) Yes, goats. Um, you know, horses. And and so it was, it was a cool experience that I would definitely, I like to, I like to say I spoiled myself by using them and now it's going to be hard not to use them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, was it, was it like reasonably priced or easy? Oh yeah, it was easy. Yeah. Yeah, It was, it
2: was not, it was not something that you'd turn your nose up at. So
0: not to make the whole thing a llama podcast, but was there any, anything else that you had to be like concerned about, like with them or taking care of them? I mean, it's, it sounds like it was just, they were just a really nice addition to your hunt and like, you weren't worried about them or concerned about them.
2: I mean, they were, they were, they were super nice. I mean, the only thing I was concerned about was like, they're not my llamas, so if any anything happens to them, exactly, you know, yeah, I was we very. We think about our yeah. dogs
0: and
2: stuff. Yeah. You know, also, if I I was very adamant about like checking to make sure they were tied up correctly and their okay. their lines were secure, you know, because like losing a llama in the backcountry, that you know, and I was, it was stuff like that. So yeah. that's the only thing I was like at night when we went to sleep, making sure that their lines were completely tied around the tree, and we weren't going to wake up to llamas gone. You know, this stuff like that. But we didn't see. We saw the entire trip up there. We saw, uh, I we saw the set of hunters, and then we saw some horseback guys who were just camping. They weren't even hunting, and I like that was it the entire time. We didn't even talk to those other people. So, like, there were not. There wasn't really another soul around.
0: Yeah. So you were obviously chasing these ptarmigan, and. Yeah, a lot of times like if you're doing something new you're trying to find like finding birds is like it's kind of like it lifts that weight off your shoulders like oh I found them like they do exist and I found them here so now I can go look for that spot so you didn't see any birds did you see any sign I mean did you was there any indication that you were in the right spot I mean what do you chalk that up to
2: um there were a few times that I I, I felt that Jones was a little birdie okay um I did see some scat. And talking to the wildlife biologist, when I called him, like they, you know, they have been in that basin before. And so there were some things that I saw in that particular basin that I think could have been better somewhere else. Like I was told, particularly here, to check where the rock slides meet the grass and around water. Now there was water up there. I was around water. But I didn't feel like the grass was enough up there. I felt like it was a few and far between and not, not very, um, full. And so I felt that basin had probably been overworked by, um, animals, whether that be, you know, someone grazing or something of that sort. So there, that's how I felt about it. Now I wasn't able to get to the other spot that I wanted to hunt, so I don't know what it looked like, but I kind of, I had narrowed it down to two basins that I wanted to hunt. And I kind of went with this other one. This, you know, it was kind of like a 50, 50 shot. Next year I'm gonna try the other one. So okay. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It just kinda it's neat to get sort of like the, you know, on the ground analysis, what you were seeing, what you were looking at and yeah, that's that's uh it's very cool. definitely sounds like a fun, adventurous hunt, that's for dang sure.
1: For sure, yeah.
0: So let's talk about other hunting. Like, what are you most excited about? You know, what have you done so far chasing other birds? And what are you most excited about getting into right now?
1: And then sure. you get some so more
2: time to hunt. Here in Utah, when the temperature is so hot in September, grouse season opens up. So it's I was able to chase grouse for a little bit um, because that's they're at higher elevations, obviously. So you can yeah. not be in 80-degree weather. And it was still pretty, it's still pretty full in September though, the, you know, the foliage. And so it was um, hard to find them. But, and then I, and then I did a vacation with my family. And so kind of took some family time this September, which is first time in like five years. And then um, now October, um, I was able to, I traveled a little bit for work. I was asked to help guide some new female hunters in Kansas. Um, That was a really cool experience to see women so excited about upland hunting and learning everything and um, we were just in a controlled shooting area but it was a perfect setting for these ladies to learn and for them to see dog work and it was a great you know early season practice for my dogs to get on a lot of birds and um, cool to see Jones really start figuring everything out I've been hunting yeah. with um, my friend Deb and and JJ uh, we went out for sage grouse in Wyoming before it closed and tons of sign everywhere for sage grouse holy moly never seen so much bird sign um didn't find the birds that particularly when i was in wyoming but then the next weekend was in idaho looking for sharpies and huns and we found 20 sage grouse so um, <laughs> uh, just figures. funny how that uh, yeah funny how that works out right yeah. um so i'm really focusing this season on getting jones out a lot uh, it's really his first real season you know last year is just a six-month-old puppy so he's more bounding around mm-hmm. in the uplands but uh this year really focuses on getting Jones out and now that the temperature has cooled down, like tomorrow I'll probably go out and hunt tomorrow Friday I plan on going out and hunting Chucker, you know. So I'm gonna focus on Chucker. I'm supposed to meet some friends in Nebraska to hunt pheasant. And then from there, my season I like to spend here in Utah hunting Chucker and then going up to Idaho to hunt Huns and Chucker and maybe some quail and um, you know, focus on that for the season. So I've got some really good friends here who've got great setters and, you know, for Jones to learn from and they've been super gracious with me getting me on some, some spots where we know birds are just to get some birds scent in front of Jones and try to get him his first wild bird point, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 Birds, birds, birds for the young, for the young. Exactly. That's cool. Uh, definitely want to talk about Jones a little bit, but I'm curious on the, uh, we had chat a little bit about this sort of the mentored hunt that you did with the ladies. Were, were they all, was it adults? Were there was like a varying age range or like what brought all these people together? That thing you were yep. at
2: they were adults it was cool it was um sponsored by beretta and shoot in this in this non i don't think it's non-profit but it's just a, a company called shoot like a girl and they focus on getting women you know young to old in the field and teaching them the proper way to handle firearms and, and they've been sponsoring these hunts to actually get ladies um in field experience which i think is really cool because i think to to get new people on board, you don't just take them out shooting once and then go, okay, go hunt. See you later. You know, <laughs> Right. Um, actually letting them experience a hunt from, uh, and being guided by experienced hunters. I think that's really cool. And so they reached out to me in the summer and, and said, you know, we're looking for females who have dogs who can, can help teach these ladies and take them on upland hunt. And I said, yeah, that sounds awesome. So I drove the dogs to Kansas and it was older ladies, um, Well, older, I should say, that you know, late 20s to, you know, probably 40s or so. And all had been interested in it but didn't know how to do it and had not had a lot of firearm experience. And so I thought it was great how the event was ran because, we you know, we didn't just put a a shotgun in their hand and say, okay, we're going to the field. You know, we started out with Karen with Shoot Like a Girl showed them how to put the gun together and and what kind of firearm we were using and here's how you – put a semi-auto together, and now we're going to go out and shoot trap, and we're going to show you, you know, how the the gun works, and we were able to spend a whole afternoon on the trap field, and and just letting them uh, get a feel for the shotguns. because, you know, it's intimidating at first, it's <laughs> putting a yeah. firearm in your hands, especially a shotgun, a 12-gauge, or I think they were shooting 20s, but, and we were even able to do stuff like, okay, well, this is great, we've been shooting trap for the past hour, where the, the gun has been on your shoulder, but Tomorrow when we're out in the field, it's not going to be on your shoulder as you're hiking. So we were able to do some exercises to to teach them how to, you know, when the clay flies, you know, to put the gun up to their shoulder. And it was was great. And so then I was able to explain to them, okay, here's how we're going to walk the field together. And here's what this dog is going to do. And here's what this dog is going to do. And this is the tip, you know, your pointers and your flushers. And here's the difference. And they were able to see two very different types of styles of hunts, you know, between running Lincoln and um, Lincoln, my lab, and then my, and then tested My friend Tess, her, her lab lock, um, they were able to see flushers work. And then, you know, we'd, you know, we'd hike the field and then we'd put the flushers away and take out pointing breeds and show them the complete difference of hunting there. And I thought overall, I think it was really cool. Able to, we showed them how to, you know, butcher a bird and cook it up. And, you know, I just think to get people in the field, you got to give them that whole experience.
0: Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop Podcast, Mike Naduski, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many Upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the Upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next Upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. Yeah, that sounds like it was a very, very comprehensive education and approach for, you know, whatever length of the event was. And that's why I was sort of curious about that. And I think you, you bring up a good point. And I I know I talked about this on an episode not too long ago about how, you know, we had a lot of fun on the podcast and talked to a lot of people that have been hunting for a long time, but we talked to new hunters too, but a lot of times I just like you Sort you just sort of breeze over this whole firearms thing and like you think about it you're asking somebody to if they're just starting upland hunting like what we're talking especially in you know like the rough grouse woods and like you're asking somebody to you know take a firearm and like make these split second decisions with like dogs on the ground and birds in the air and it's just
2: people I mean (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah and people I mean it's it's obviously not something to take lightly and i don't think many people that listen to this show do that but again like we all sort of reach this point where like you you know many people have like a a comfort level of using these guns and firearms and like understand safety but man it's that's a big deal
2: it is and that's why i said i liked what we did at that event where yeah we didn't just put them out in the field we you know we said to them we're gonna go we're gonna show you some step one how to handle these firearms safety and we talked about not only safety with a firearm, but safety with people, safety with yeah. dogs, you know, we very much express that, hey, our dogs and the safety of your hunters around you is the utmost importance. And so here's how we're going to make sure that, you know, that is the number one priority. And so told them, you know, when the bird flushes, you're not to shoot till you see blue sky, you know, bird in yeah. blue sky, and your your shooting lane is 10 to 2, and you're not to go out of that, and we're to walk in a line together. And, you know, me as being the guide, I had to really focus on that, um, the whole time. And overall, the ladies just did excellent. They did excellent. I think we almost, I think we almost put so much safety in their mind that at first it made them a little nervous, but you may kind of have to, that's what we're doing. That's what's the most important thing here. You know, and it's funny because, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you, you've hunted your entire life. You probably had that safety talk from when you were five years old on, well, these ladies hadn't, you know, so it's something you had to you know, just squash into their brain and they did great. They did amazing.
0: Yeah. That's super cool. So it sounds like good energy, good vibe out there. Well,
2: if anybody listening
0: is interested, do you know, like would they go to shoot like a or something like that to find more events like it?
2: They do. They do events quite. I, I highly recommend checking out the shoot like a girl Instagram or website. And they do, they do these events all the time. It's amazing. Okay. So it's such a great organization. I don't, it needs more press. That's for sure. Uh, really yeah. cool. Really cool. Bread is spot. Bread is, helping them get the word out and been a great partner to them. And it's just amazing the stuff that they do.
0: Are you doing a recap on the event or anything for the magazine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going
2: to, yeah, I'm going to okay. write an article for it. Not sure which it'll go in next year for sure, but um, just really cool. Awesome. Awesome event.
0: Cool. So, all right, let's talk about Jones. Jones is the year and a half old setter. We were, we figured this out. He's like, he's only, he's about a month younger than Rose. Is that what we decided on?
2: Um. Yeah. I think you, we talked about it at grass camp. I think you said he, Jones was born on June 5th. Okay, so, so
0: yeah, hardly, a couple of weeks. R- Rose was born on May 22nd last year, so like no, about okay. the same oh, yeah. age. Yeah, both I out had, of North, Northwoods bird dogs. Yep.
2: I had the chance at your litter, and I decided to pass for the next litter. I think, be honestly, because I wanted a tricolor. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I think your litter did not have any tries, so.
0: Yeah, and you got lucky, and you got I'm gonna be, Jones, I'm gonna be the tricolor lately. setter. Yeah, Let's, let's rewind a little bit and... Talk to me about how you landed on the English setter and ultimately Northwoods bird dogs, Jerry Coulter, who I've interviewed on here multiple
1: times.
2: Sure. I am. So I grew up, like I said, I grew up in a rural community, horseback riding, camping country, you know, living on a farm. And my grandpa, when he retired, he actually um, raised English setters. So he grew up hunting. He was a bird hunter. And he raised them just for trialing. And I was around them all the time because I would ride his trialing horses for summer money in the summer, you know, cash in the summer. And so, um, and he always had a set, a couple setters in the house. And when it, so when it came time as I got more into bird hunting and it came time to get a second bird dog, cause my lab Lincoln, he, he'll be eight this year. Yeah. Um, honestly, I kind of was like, you know, I don't really want another lab, not because I don't love labs, but mostly because I can't replace Lincoln, but I really would like a pointing breed. And, I weighed my options. I consider multiple breeds, but I just, it kind of came down to, I know English setters. I know their temperament. um, And they're such an iconic classic bird dog that that's what I want. And so I actually started researching breeders and I reached out to you because um, we didn't know each other, but I followed you on Instagram and I had seen your setter.
1: um, And I said, Hey,
2: you know, partly. Yeah. Partly. And I said, would you mind telling me who your breeder is? And I'd, I'd be interested. And you told me about Jerry and Betsy. And so yeah. um, after more research and I actually went up to meet Jerry and Betsy, I was going up to Minnesota because we have an office up there. I was going up there to, when I took over gun I was going up to meet her and my new art Wait, director. You really have an office in Minnesota? Mm-hmm. In Brainerd. Yeah. In Brainerd. Oh, cool. And yeah. And so I was only a few hours from over there and I drove over to meet both of them and just loved them instantly. I loved, their way of thinking, their training, and their facilities, and their dogs. And right then and there, I think I left, and I emailed them and said, I want to put a deposit down <laughs> on the next litter, so or whenever yeah. I can get in, you know, on the list. And I did, and it took, it only took a year, I think, and I had um, second pick of mail of whatever litter came, and yep. that's how I ended up with Jones.
0: So Yeah, and he's a year and a half now. Walk me through a little bit, like, what were you... What were you thinking about mostly? I mean, we kind of touched on like you obviously knew that you want to get the dog on birds. That's pretty obvious. But going from lab to pointing dog, was there anything that you were like really um, like curious about, concerned about, like you know making sure you did things right?
2: Oh, everything, <laughs> everything. Yeah. yeah, I had. Oh, I was a nervous. You you should talk to Jerry about it. I think I talked to him multiple times, going, I'm not sure I can do this. I don't know. I don't know. You know. I don't know. Because I had trained, so I've trained Lincoln myself, and I had trained retrievers in college. And so I knew how to train, I should say I trained them for uh, service dogs, not hunting. And so I knew how to train, ret- or, uh, you know, just labs and retrievers. Yeah, I had never trained a flushing breed. I had didn't know step one, you know, because to me at first when I thought about it, I was like, this is completely different. How do I train this pointing dog to point, you know? And so I was so nervous about Jones. I was so anxiety prone. And I was all, I'll be honest and say, I was also nervous about having two dogs. I had just, when I, when I put a deposit down on Jones or Jones's litter, I was still in Illinois. I was living in Illinois for work. Um, I had been, I was only six hours from home. And then I decided to move to Utah when I got the opportunity because it was either take it now or, you know, you might miss it. And so now it was. Now I'm 24 hours from home. And now, you know, and it was just a lot of things all at once. And so when I got him, it was just like, I was like standing there with eyes wide open, like, what do I do now? You know, what do I do yeah. now? And so luckily, I'm the editor of Gundog Magazine. And so I had a ton of help um, at my disposal. And all the trainers were like, you're going to be fine. <laughs> Callie, you know how to do this. like. This is mostly going to be natural instinct for him. Like stop worrying so much, teach him obedience. Like, you know how, and let his instincts come out Now you can help him, you know, and by, you know, doing these steps. So I was reading books and reading past magazines and talking to my trainers. And I was fortunate enough here to have met some friends the bird dog world is so great. Everyone is so willing to help. I had a friend from Idaho who runs Gordon's. He said, Hey, there's this guy named Todd who lives down near you. He's a good friend. He's a good guy for you to know. He'll have some private land for you to run Jones on hooked up with Todd. Super great guy has become a great friend to me who he introduced me to Talmadge Smedley. Who's a very well-known setter, trailer guy here and Talmadge has been such a help to me to train Jones. And, you know, I just started from the beginning. I, I put a wing in front of him and I put a dead bird in front of him. And then I put a live bird with a wing open in front of him. And then, you know, you just keep going from there. And then I planted pigeons and whatever. And it's just, it's just a step-by-step process, and along the way, I was able to ask for help. I was able to ask for advice. Everyone has just been so genuinely helpful to me that um, it's been it's been a journey, and I'm still nervous about it. And there's still things that I'm nervous about and wondering when he's going to mature into. And that's just all part of the process. And I'm completely fine telling people about it because, you know, you see a bunch of stuff on social where it's all sugar and butterflies. Like, look at my dog doing this at this month old, you know, you can, and that's, and I totally believe that that happens because that Jones says the same he will do, he'll do one thing great for five things wrong, you know? (laughs) and So he's a year and a half old setter and that's okay. And I have to remind myself that all the time, you know, I can put, it's funny, I was, I think I was telling you or someone recently, I was talking to uh, Jerry at Cross Camp about it. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, Jerry. I said,
2: Jerry, Jerry, I said, I can put a planted pigeon out for this dog and he will find it 200 yards away and he will hold point until I get there. But on wild birds, he will run through them right now and point one out of 10, you know, and Jerry's like, Callie. He is a one, he, she, they always, you know, he's always trying to calm me down. He yeah. said, or he was calming down. He said, Callie, I have found that with setters, it takes them a little bit longer to mature. And he, remember, he is still a puppy. Like he is, you know, he is going to figure this wild bird thing out. It will take multiple birds flushing in his face for him to figure it out, but just keep going. Like, just keep going. The more birds yeah. he gets out, you know, my friend Deb and JJ keep reminding me cause they, they have just a two year old drop. And he said, he did the same thing. He did the same thing. He will run through these birds until finally they calm down and they're like, oh, this is what I have to do. And I'm like, okay, you know, because oh, I'm like, what else can I do? <laughs> right, I can, right. I can train every day with this dog and it's just going to take something to click here and, you know, here in a little bit. And I've seen it. I saw it last week in Kansas. It was amazing to watch him really turn things on. Um, he was honoring, he was pointing, he was holding, and now I just... You know, just waiting for that wild bird thing to happen. And you know, the thing here is wild birds out in the west are you could hike seven miles and see one cubby. So it's right. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just anyways. So
0: Yeah, no, thats I mean, I enjoy hearing that. Like I certainly can relate to the perspective and I've talked about it, you know, a bunch on the show about, you know, going through it with Hartley and I was way more relaxed with Rose. But you know, and even Rose is just like, you know, she's my second dog and we had our ups and downs and like, she's, she's done a lot of really, really good, good bird work. And she's been in a, in front of a ton of wild birds already, but you know, it's her second season. Like we're, we're going to go out and she's, she's still going to bump birds. But then it's like, I mean, I've seen what I've seen and I know like at any moment she, she's going to nail rough grouse and mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like more birds, more birds, more birds. And it's fun, but that, yeah. And that whole, like take a deep breath, just be patient. I mean, it's hard especially like you're getting out with the wild birds because like you know we control we can control but you can put your dog where you think you're in the best spot but you don't know what he's gonna find or what's gonna happen when he does find them and you just kind of have to like you just sort of have to take it in stride and keep developing the dog and keep giving you them do. and opportunity. I, just, I just
2: I want people you know the new dog owners out there who are you know nervous about their dog like you're probably going through the same thing that I am and it's you just have to remind yourself that This dog is bred well and has these natural instincts, but they are still a puppy at heart. I mean, Jones is, you know, he is so, such a great dog. I cannot love this dog more, Um, but he is still a puppy, and he is still figuring out what his job is, and I know he can do it because I've seen him do it. You know, I've seen him, and so it's just going to take enough contacts for him to mature and realize, hey, as soon as I hit that scent cone, I am to stop you know and so and it will happen it has happened it just happens you know one out of five times and so it's it's just them growing and learning and you know i have been told multiple times that setters take two or three years um to really nail it down and so um, i'm so thankful for all the help that i've been giving and for jerry and betsy for my frantic text in the beginning to them and, and then you know he's not pointing yet. He won't point this wing on a string. And I remember Jerry texts back, well, show him the live bird. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it, it was just funny. And it's just, I don't want people to get confused that every bird dog, you know, is just perfect from the beginning because they're not, it takes development. Yeah. You know, don't believe everything you see on the internet. <laughs> you know, that's I don't know. Like,
0: yeah. And I don't like, you know, maybe if you had a really good mentor that would, and like, obviously, you know, you've got the resource in Jerry Coulter, I had that but it's like, you know, he's used to it by now, but I'll never forget the first time I took Hartley hunting. He was like a three month old dog and it was opening grouse season in Minnesota. This was, you know, seven or eight years ago. And I took Hartley hunting and I knew like we weren't going to be out pounding the brush all day. Like I knew enough to at least know that, but we, we went and walked some trails and probably did an hour walk that first day. And then like, I remember the next morning we went for a walk and like we actually got into some grouse. Like I got Hartley and grouse on his first, on his first walk. And knowing what I know now, like I would have been over the moon about like what we experienced, but like at the time he didn't like lock up into a point. And I mean, I had no clue like what, what I was even supposed to expect, even with all the books and stuff that I did read. Like Mm -hmm. I don't know why it was so hard for me to pull that out. But then I remember emailing Jerry the, the following week and, just kind of tell him like, yeah, you know, we had a great walk. And then towards the end of our walk, Hartley was just kind of like walking around at my feet and, and just like not, <laughs> not looking for birds and stuff. And, you know, like I have no idea what Jerry thought, but he obviously politely emailed me back. He's like, it's a young dog. Don't worry about it. Just keep taking them on your trips, you know, run them for a half hour and, and
1: well, bring them I can
2: home. only imagine, I can only imagine the emails <laughs> that Jerry gets. <laughs> right. I mean, I just, I'm just laughing because just, I mean, I know what I sent him, you know, and yeah. Jerry's not doing, you know, what is he? He's not doing this. He's not doing this. Jerry's like, cowing. he's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it's funny. But I, you know, you got to have the first and yeah. Yeah. Jones is my first point, And now I know what to do moving forward. You know, if I, when I get another one, cause I'm sure I would love to have another setter at some point, not right now, but, um, I now know, you know, you got to get that first one out from underneath your belt. And I, I now, you know, I've got the pigeon coop in my backyard and I've got, you yeah, know, my homing pigeons. And, and, you know, and I know, I think I was really nervous, you know, to get birds in front of him when he was like four months I'm like, I don't want these birds to scare him, you know. And so right. I took things very slowly. you read about that. You read about it. And, you, and I now know how I would do things and start him a little bit earlier. And I know that too from working with Talmadge and how early he works his little pups on birds. And so, you know, there's just things you have to learn along the way. And now that I, I know um, I am by no means an expert pointing dog trainer, but I'm just saying, I I understand the fears that I had from this first one will will now be kind of erased with the second one. As you said, with Rose, like you're the, you know, you're like, I was way more less intense with Rose. Like you're like, just sit back and let it happen. You know? (laughs) So
0: I think you know, there's a, there's a number of things that I did with Rose differently and I'm sure I'll do some things differently with the third one and so on and so forth. But yeah, she's a, she's a super, and this could be dog to dog, but she's just a really like laid back, calm dog. And I just think I, I did a better job at setting her up for success. And, but at the end of the day, I love both my dogs and they both point grouse and make me happy. And that's what it's all about.
2: Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's how I feel. And I love it. And I'm loving every step of this journey with him. And it's so cool to see him really put things together and how smart they are. You know, they come yeah. from this excellent breeding and like I was teaching him, I didn't teach heel work right away because I wanted to just let him range, you know, let yeah. him be a puppy and get out there. So I was teaching him heel work just two weeks ago and just a 10 minutes in the backyard and that dog had it figured out. And it's just, he is mm-hmm. so smart, so smart. And it's just really cool to see. So,
0: How big is Jones?
2: So he actually went yesterday for his shots at the vet and he was 46 pounds.
0: 46 pounds. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice size. Very nice size. What's up? Uh, what is he running like? And I don't know if you've, have you had him in thick cover? And I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, what's he ranging out in the open country and have you seen mm-hmm. any adaptation in thicker stuff?
2: So I have not, well, yes, I did. Run, I mean, I ran him here in the grouse woods. He will stay closer uh, when okay. I'm hunting grouse, but when I'm out in the wide open, I've had, I've clocked him at 180, 180 okay. yards. Um, at the most, and hoping he reaches out just a little bit more. Yeah, he's soon still he too. Yeah. yeah, as soon as he starts figuring out uh, the birds and, and smelling them and how far he's got to go, so um, I'm hoping to get him to range 200, 250 yards or so. So, yeah, and he may do more once he starts understanding where the birds are. You never know.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, I think once they develop that independence and the confidence in, like you said, in what they're confidence,
2: doing. Yeah, then, yeah, cre- stretch you're correct. It, the confidence is the right word. When he was young, you know, he'd stay 50 yards and he definitely, sure. you know, he's a, a puppy. He didn't want to go far from his owner. Um, but now he's got confidence and he understand, he does understand what we're doing. Like he totally gets when the e-collar comes out and the gun comes out. Like he knows we're going hunting and yeah. he hunts well. He, you know, he, he ranges well. He quarters well. He, um, he does check in quite a bit. Uh, I don't think I missed, I didn't really feel like I did that to him, but he does check in. So I'm hoping he kind of stops doing that as much. Uh, just to save his legs but yeah um he does hunt very you know he he is out there hunting and so now it's just about getting him on the birds and finding the birds so
0: cool well we're gonna we'll finish up here in a little bit but i do want to talk we mentioned it earlier um you were at piners grouse camp last week and you were there we were both out there actually to connect with some folks from yukonuba so i'd love to hear a little bit more about what you were working on there with the folks from yukonuba and then we'll talk a little bit of grouse hunting before we wrap up
2: for sure. So, Yukonuba has been a great partner of Gundog, uh, great supporters, and they reached out to us because uh, our company is owned by a big, collaborative com- company, and we do some really cool video production stuff. And so, okay. they reached out to us to do collab on a couple videos for them because they've got some new and exciting products coming out here in 2022. And we wanted to put the word out by not just doing you know, your silly videos that are... Complete advertising. We actually wanted to talk to their scientists and get, uh, you know, the word out about what is the science behind uh, the food. And that's what we did. And so Pinewood Grouse Camp was the perfect place to do it because we could hunt and we could work with the excellent trainers there and excellent dogs and um, have some scientists come in. And it turned out to be really cool, and I think the videos are going to be really awesome.
0: Yeah. What can folks expect? As, like, will those videos, will they be part of – is Yukonuba going to be putting those out, or where, where might those I think be both. available?
2: It'll be both, both Gundog and Yukonuba. Yeah. Uh, they're in production. So we filmed last week, and so it'll take a couple months to put them all together, and we'll start uh, really pushing them out here in December and January, I think. Okay.
0: And so it was predominantly – Bird dog training stuff, but then also talking about dog food and Yukanuba and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah,
2: it was. Yeah, it was. It was discussing uh, best ways, you know, to really build your sporting breed, keep them running strong. Talking to wildlife biologists and uh, dog trainers, and you know, especially guys who travel with their dogs a ton and run their dogs a ton, and just some, you know, not just about the science behind the food, but just from straight from these trainers' mouths of advice. Uh, yeah. how to keep your dog going and, and getting them on birds and things of that sort. So it was really cool. I'm, I'm really looking forward to work with some great, you know, between Jerry and Steve Faust was there, Stephen Faust. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: it was cool. Yeah. And folks that listen often will know that, you know, you can do as a sponsor of this podcast. And so it's, it's a bit of a shameless plug, but I, I only bring it up because I was, I had some good conversation with the folks out there too. And I've got some upcoming interviews that we're going to be talking to steven Fowles pretty soon and uh i would love to get russ on the podcast from Yukonuba just to take a little bit deeper dive into the food and uh talk about that because we haven't done that yet on this show but anyways i do want to i do want to talk about you got to sneak out into the woods before you left with steven Fowles, too i've interviewed before he's one of the guides up at pine ridge and he's got a string of gordon setters what was uh talk to me about your hunt with steven
2: Stephen was a great guy. I yeah. I have hunted with Gordon. I've been a fan of Gordons because, like I said, I have a buddy in Idaho, Tom Loy, who runs Tallgrass Gordon Setters, and he, okay. of course, his setters are more for the Western atmosphere hunting. They range quite a bit. And so I've seen – I follow Stephen on Instagram. He's got a great, you know, social media account. Yeah,
0: Stony Brook Gordon Setters.
2: Stony Brook Brook Gordon Setters. And he just does an excellent job of capturing his dogs in the field. So I was really looking forward to hunting with him and seeing how his dogs compare to, the, you know, the western-ranging Gordons. And, holy, I was so impressed with Stephen's dogs and the way he handled them. And it was just amazing. Well, first of all, I'm not – I've hunted – um, the North woods just once by myself and kudos to you guys for being able to shoot through all that crap um, and hunt those <laughs> birds. Like, Holy moly, that is hard hunting. And the way Steven's dogs just worked that cover and nailed those birds down. And I just love, he did, his command was, you know, they point, they'd be in point and we walk up and clear the birds are running. And so he'd say to them, and he talked to them very quietly and he'd say, be, okay, be careful. Okay, be careful. And that was his no. cue to redirect them. Say, hey, okay, they're, they've moved. So go, you can, yeah, you know, because they're it. obviously on woe, you know, they're, they're stopping. And so his cue was, okay, be careful. And it was that cue that they would move and refine the birds. And I just thought that was amazing. And they found them every time. <laughs> and I must say your bird numbers in the Northwoods are crazy high right now because we went out for two hours. I was, you know, we we're filming the whole time. So I only got two hours to hunt. And yeah. I think we had 17 bird flushes in that two hours and it was amazing.
0: That was grouse and woodcock, I'm guessing.
2: Yes. Yeah. It was a little bit of both. I think most of okay. grouse though. Okay.
0: Yeah. Which has been kind of an interesting theme this year. Woodcock numbers are whether it's the birds are concentrated, they're not there. I'm not really sure, but I, I actually probably going to, I wouldn't be surprised if I end up with more grouse flushes than woodcock, which is, kind of unusual. Like I guess I'd have to go back and look, but
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: grouse numbers have been, have been pretty good. So I think you saw you had a pretty good hunt, but I, I never had the chance to hunt with Steven. I really want to just cause I'd like to see his dogs work. And I mean, I, I love connecting with people like that because it's obvious, but you know, he's in the woods in, in Minnesota where I hunt, you know, 45 days straight, basically like every day of the season, he's out there running his dogs. And I mean, those are the kinds of people that you can, If you're a sponge and soak it up you know you can learn a lot from somebody like and not to mention he's been running bird dogs and chasing birds for a long time so that helps too
2: it was just it was amazing to see his dogs work like that and they worked so well together and they were calm and meticulous and i want to call them slow they were definitely like little
1: methodical black
2: black methodical methodical little black bullets through those woods and they could get down low in that cover and yeah wow, it was just amazing. It was really amazing to see. And so I wish I could have hunted with them longer, honestly.
0: Yeah. Well, you did kill a grouse.
2: I did. I killed a grouse and a woodcock and that is very much thanks to Sasha and Steven. So
0: <laughs> did you have a, did you have a good shot at the grouse? Was it a prayer? What was it like?
2: Uh, it was funny. It was, I heard it, we heard it flush and then we went over and I, which was funny cause they were, I kind of acting like Grouse out here where they fly up into the trees, and I thought that was crazy. And so it saw us, and it got, you know, it was it it flushed again, and I was able to get a shot off. And I had just saw it, the you know just saw it, and it's kind of instinctual. You just you know you raise your shotgun, pray up and shoot, and pray. (laughs) And the woodcock was deep in the woods, and that was another situation where you just I you just put your gun up through all that stuff and just pull the trigger and hope that one BB finds those birds. (laughs) That is. That is insane. That is insane.
0: Yeah, so. it can be. It can be very challenging, and you can have lots of stretches where you know you get you get a bunch of bad opportunities in a row. I mean, just getting yourself, convincing yourself to shoot can be a challenge. So, well, I certainly know the feeling,
2: convincing for sure, but also like a lot of times you'll the dogs on point, and you'll hear them flush, but you don't see them. You right. know, like so to to even get close enough to see that see the flush is even something to be worth you know <laughs> praised.
1: Yeah, for
0: sure. Well, this was uh, this has been a fun conversation, Callie. I thank you for joining me. Won't be the won't be the last time we have you on the podcast. Just run me through again gundogmaggy.com, give me the Instagram account, and if folks want to follow you and kind of see more what you're up to, where can they follow you?
2: Sure, you can follow me. I'm on Instagram at just at Callie Parmley, and you can follow Gundog at on Instagram, just at gundog. And, um, actually gundog mag at gundog mag and then online gundogmag.com. We're also on Facebook, gundog magazine. And again, 1997 gets you a subscription to this beautiful magazine and premium access to the website and training videos. So cool stuff. And just look for us continue to grow throughout 2022.
0: Awesome good deal. I'll throw all the links in the show notes and get all that stuff rounded up. But thanks again for taking the time to speak with me and the listeners. I appreciate it, Callie. Wish you the best of luck the rest of the season. And uh, I'll look forward to the day that we can cut Rose and Hartley and Jones loose in a cover somewhere.
2: That'd be awesome. Thanks, Nick. I really appreciate it.
0: All right. Take care, Callie. Thanks for listening everybody. That does it for this episode of the Bird Shop Podcast. Quick reminder, we are presented by Onex Hunt, Yukaduba Sporting Dog, CZ USA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, Uplander Lifestyle, and Dakota 283. Rate, review, subscribe, like, and share. Catch you on the next episode of the Bird Shop Podcast.